We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in to Lakers Nation Live. I am Trevor Lane. The Lakers fall to the Dallas Mavericks on the road. The first game back after winning the in-season tournament. The Lakers dropping this one. And this is exactly, exactly what we said could not happen in the preview. I talked all about this, that the Mavs are a high-volume three-point shooting team. And if they have an outlier shooting game, well, you're pretty much done for, and that's exactly what happened. Now, I didn't expect them to do it like this, though. And this is why, ultimately, I think this is a bad loss for the Lakers. And there is a difference. There's good losses and there's bad losses. There's good losses where you lose the game, but you just tip your cap to the opponent and you say, okay, this is, is it is what it is. This particularly is a bad loss in part because of the context. This is the first night of a back-to-back for the Lakers. Tomorrow they take on the San Antonio Spurs. You got solid performances out of Anthony Davis. 37 points, 11 rebounds, 2 blocks. How often are you going to get that kind of night out of AD? LeBron James, 33 points, 8 boards, 9 assists, 3 steals, 14 to 27 shooting. Again, good LeBron night. And you don't walk away with the win. 40 minutes for LeBron, 37 minutes for Anthony Davis. And you don't win the game. That was a waste. That was a waste of those minutes on LeBron and AD to not get the result that you were looking for. And then again, it's a bad loss for the Lakers because they shot 52% from three. We know they're not going to do that every single night. So to have all of those things come together, a good Anthony Davis night, a good LeBron night, a good team three-point shooting night, and not walk away with the win, that's what makes this a particularly bad loss. Now you add on top of that, that it was, of all people, Dante Exum. That's right. He's in the league. Dante Exum. Seven for nine from three. Now again, at one point, Dante Exum was one of the most exciting young players in the draft. Give him credit. He has battled his way back into the league. But this is a guy who on the season is averaging 28.6% from three. Seven for nine tonight. Against the Lakers, that's what you call an outlier shooting performance from Dante Exum. Tim Hardaway Jr., 5 for 10 from 3, 7 of 8 from the free throw line. That's three more free throw attempts in a game than his season high, which had been 5. An outlier performance for Tim Hardaway Jr. with 32 points in this one. The Mavs on the second night of a back-to-back without Kyrie Irving. And you get two role players who go off for probably their best games of the season each. Luca, of course, did Luca things. Seven assist, 17 assists, 33 points for Luca. But a bad loss because, again, the Lakers on their side did what they needed to do in terms of their offensive production defensively, giving up two. Again, for Dante Exum, certainly the best performance of the season for him, for Tim Hardaway Jr., one of his best, certainly, if not his best performances of the season, and to lose the game that way, that all of that comes together to form what I think 
is a bad loss, a game the Lakers really should have won when you look at the context of this. But you just unfortunately had a very hot shooting Mavs team that knocked down a lot of threes in this game. They are the highest volume three-point shooting team in the NBA and unfortunately got production out of guys that you would not typically expect them to get this kind of production out of. These guys stepped up with Kyrie Irving out. This can happen sometimes. A star goes down and you get other guys to step up and fill that void, at least in the short term. Typically over the long term, you really feel the sting of not having that star. But guys can step up in a single game situation, and that's exactly what happened here for the Dallas Mavericks. So again, unfortunate for the Lakers that they played and produced at a pretty efficient level on the offensive end, but don't walk away with the win. So lots to talk about tonight. What happened? with the Lakers. Why did they struggle so much, particularly leaving guys wide open? What happened defensively? Where did Cam Reddish go down the stretch? The Lakers were defending Luka with players who had not even a chance of staying in front of him, just basically playing the traffic cone defense and allowing Luka to get right into the paint anytime he wanted, thus forcing the Lakers defense to overhelp and thus leading to Dante Exum going berserk from behind the arc. Very questionable decision there to pull Cam Reddish. This was also a night with no Jared Vanderbilt. Now, once again, the Mavs had their own slew of injuries. They lost Seth Seth Curry during the game. No Kyrie Irving. These are guys that make an impact, right? Certainly Kyrie is going to make a bigger impact than Jared Vanderbilt will. But this game, this matchup specifically, is the one you circle on your calendar for Jared Vanderbilt. This is the game where you need him. And he's got back spasms. Now, he can be be a very, very good player. Jared Vanderbilt can in just about any situation. But Jared Vanderbilt made Luka's life hell last season. Vando thrives in that matchup, pestering Luka. Not having him in this one was a big, big negative for the Lakers. And you saw it when they're defending him with And again, I think they should have used Cam Reddish, but trying to defend him with Torian Prince, with Austin Reeves, with D'Angelo Russell, with Rui Hachimura, none of those guys stood a chance at sticking with Luka. And once again, I think it was a mistake, should have gone with Cam Reddish, but not having Vando in this game, man, that really hurt. Again, though, the Mavs were missing plenty of players too. That by no means is an excuse for the Lakers. They were the healthier of the two teams. There's no question, but specifically not having Jared Vanderbilt for this game. That that definitely hurt this Lakers side. All right, let's get into this, into some of your chat questions. By the way, I guess I just kind of threw a bunch of things that have been going through my head all game at you. Welcome in, anybody who's coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from X. I am Trevor Lane. You can find me over on X at Trevor underscore Lane over on Instagram at threads and threads at Trevor Lane NBA. If you haven't done so yet, hit the like button on this video. Get this video out to as many people as you can on the YouTube channel. Podcast listeners, if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor, give us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. Leave a little something in the review box there. I love reading those, and it's a great way to help out the show. Um, Andrew Lee said, Dante Exum, wow, this game pissed me off. Could have played better defense, but when they're hitting like that, it's just tough. A.D. Braun Reeves played well. Can we get A.D. the ball, please? So I think that the game plan for the Lakers going in, based on the stats, should be to leave Dante Exum. 28.6% from three on the season. That should be your game plan. The problem is, at some point, you have to shift that game plan. Once he's made four for five of them or or whatever, do you just continue to stick with the game plan and think the math is going to catch up to him at some point? Or do you let him just keep getting open threes? The Lakers chose the latter. And Dante Axum, again, to to his credit, he made the Lakers pay. Seven for nine from three tonight for Dante Axum. Certainly frustrating if you're a Lakers fan. So when they're hitting like that, part of the frustrating part is that those threes were wide open. But again, that was probably the Lakers' game plan, was to leave Axum open. He just happened to go on a heater tonight. Next game they play, he's probably going to shoot 10% from three. That's the way it goes. Madison, if Exum makes seven of nine, you lose. Yeah, 28% on the season. Now, I know he's shot better than that elsewhere, not in the NBA, but still. That's 
your game plan based on his percentages should be to not worry so much about closing out to him. He made them pay for it. Wood, no minutes. I am confused by that. I'm confused by Christian Wood not getting minutes. That That is surprising to me. There were moments where it felt like the Lakers really needed a rebounder on the floor. And Christian Wood is the better rebounder between him and Jackson Hayes. And on top of that, Christian Wood has the revenge game here with Dallas. This is the team that did him wrong last season. Wouldn't you want to use that? I was surprised. Pickley when Jackson Hayes just turned into a foul machine, four fouls in 13 minutes. Wasn't great. Wasn't a great performance from Hayes. I'm surprised we didn't see Christian Wood out there. Once Jackson Hayes got into foul trouble, and especially when Anthony Davis was gimpy, I thought, okay, all right, we're gonna see, we're gonna see Christian Wood in this one. Vando's out, right? There's no Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah, there's, there's gonna be opportunities here. AD's gimpy, Vando's out, Jackson Hayes isn't playing well. Christian Wood's getting into this game in the second half. Nope. Stayed glued to the bench. We haven't seen him in a while. I'm surprised we didn't see Christian Wood. Now, I'm not saying that change would have definitely won the game for the Lakers, but I was surprised they didn't give it a shot, especially, again, when you've got the, the revenge narrative for Jackson Hayes. It was a revenge game for him. and uh, Or, I'm sorry, for Christian Wood. And the Lakers didn't get to see him. Didn't put him out there. That was surprising to me. Got to stop talking about LeBron's age every play. I mean. Yes, but like when LeBron does ridic ridiculous things, it's important to reframe the, the context so that people remember because it's easy just to go, oh, it's LeBron and expect him to do LeBron things. But you have to remember how old he actually is and how unprecedented it is for him to be doing what he's doing. I think that's the big thing. It's not, you know, I do a little bit whenever the Lakers uh, play the Rockets and Jeff Green is in the game. Every time Jeff Green does something where I have to say his name about it, like he makes a shot or he gets a rebound or whatever, I, I throw his age in. And he gradually ages over the course of the game. And, and by gradually, I mean rapidly. So he starts off at 37. By the end of the game, he's like 85 years old. 85-year-old Jeff Green hits a three, right? It's just kind of a running bit. And that's a joke. But LeBron, it's important that we note his age because he's doing stuff that is unprecedented again he spins he scores in the lane he's driving to the basket he's quicker than guys that are half his age doing all these things it's important to add that context in so that's where i don't have such a problem with them mentioning lebron's age i get it it can get especially if you're a lakers fan it can get annoying like i don't know if you guys remember this but after when julius randall broke his leg his rookie season with the lakers for like what the remainder of randall's lakers career anyway Every time you listen to an opposing team's announcer, there's Julius Randle to the free throw line. Remember, he he broke his leg game one of his rookie season, and so you had you got to hear that conversation about his broken leg for years after the fact. So I get it. It can get a little annoying hearing the announced crew talk about his age all the time, but I think with LeBron, given that it's actually a positive thing, I, I understand why they're why they're doing it. Mission 86, not quite what we wanted. Okay, next, Master Lock Luca. Maybe. We'll see. We'll get to that. Uh, Dagmawi said, how uh, do we lose to a team coming from a back-to-back -back without one of their superstars and we're getting three days of rest and the wide-open threes are hilarious? How do you lose to a game? You have role players play like superstars. And that's exactly what happened with the Mavs. So this is this is a real thing. This happens sometimes in the NBA. A superstar goes down. And what happens is for a game, two games, something like that, you'll have role players. Usually it's multiple role players step up to fill that void. Right? Why? Because everybody on your team realizes, uh-oh, this guy's hurt. Everybody better step up. We all have to be sharp. We all have to be focused. And that's what the Mavs got. The flip side, the opposing team comes in and they go, oh, that guy's out this isn't going to be such a difficult game. So you have a combination of two things. You get your team that lost the star, everybody steps it up a notch. The opposing team goes down a notch because they see that star is not there. Over the long haul, 
right? If this plays out, if it's weeks, if it's a month, if it's two months, whatever it is, however long that star is out, over the long haul, you really feel the sting of losing that player. But in the short term, a lot of times teams see, see a role player, two role players, something like that, step up in a big way. And again, they eventually go back to being their role player selves, but they step up in a big way for that star to be out and they can surprisingly win a game or two while that guy's out that you didn't expect them to. And that's exactly what happened. Again, Dante Exum went berserk. He's making little shots in the lane. He's also hitting all the threes. Um, again, they were wide open in part because the Lakers' defensive choices that I think they needed to adjust as the game was going on, and they didn't. Um, and then you had Tim Hardaway, who for some reason just tends to go nuts against the Lakers. I talked about this on playback. Tim Hardaway Jr. is the quintessential. He's a no, He goes nuts against the Lakers. But I can all but guarantee if Tim Hardaway Jr. ever put on a Lakers jersey, he'd be a 30% three-point shooter. He's what he's he's that guy. He's one of those guys that every time he plays the Lakers, he's going to shoot 45, 50% from three. As soon as you trade for him or something, though, he'll be like a 30% inefficient shooter. He's just he's that type of player. But again, credit to him. He he did a great job knocking down shots tonight, and he tends to do it against the Lakers. He tends to do it. Uh, Gabriel, I never complained about Braun, but he tried his hardest to give Grant Williams as many open threes as possible and a fake shooting game for Exum. I mean, that's not all on LeBron. It wasn't just him. But here's what we said going in. Going into the game, it was the question would be, what pulls down their team's performance the most? Is it the Mavs being on the second night of a back-to-back and being banged up? Is it the Lakers? the emotional dump here, the energy dump that you had in the tournament, right? There was a lot of energy expended there. There was a lot of emotion expended there. You knew it was going to be a step back this game. We knew going in, we, we've talked about it for days now, that this game, there was going to be a big drop-off in the Lakers' intensity, in their focus, their effort, whatever phrase you want to use, they were going to step back. It's just natural. It's the way it goes. And I talked about it. I know you can say, well, they should play hard every game. No, no, no. You don't even want them playing at that tournament level the entire season because they can't. It's not sustainable. If they do, if they play at that tournament level the entire season, they're going to get hurt for one thing or and they're going to be out of gas come playoff time. They're going to have nothing left. So it's easy to just say, oh, well, you should constantly play with energy. You should constantly play with focus and attention to detail and all that kind of stuff and maximum effort all game, every game. It's easy to say that. Much more difficult to actually do. So again, I say that you don't actually want the Lakers playing at that level all the time because it's simply not sustainable. It's good to know that it's there, though, and you want to see them turn it up come playoff time. You want to see them go back to that well when it's the NBA's postseason. So again, the question going in was, how big of a drop-off would it be from the Lakers? How much of an impact would being on the second night of a back-to-back have on the Mavs? I would say despite not being the freshest team, despite being injured, it didn't hurt the Mavs that much because they had guys step up and have big outlier shooting nights. For the Lakers, they performed well offensively. Their defense wasn't up to task in this one. And I thought the Lakers, the energy was noticeably less compared to what they did in the tournament. And they probably took their foot a little bit too much off the gas. But it had to come off the gas pedal somewhat. Had to. And so now it's a matter of finding that middle ground where you can still win regular season games, but you're not going all out, all out the way you did in the tournament. Face reality, said D'Lo, seven points. (laughs) Hot garbage. Horrible on defense, must trade. So again, D'Angelo Russell on the season, on the season, D'Angelo Russell is averaging 16.6 points per game, 6.3 assists, uh, shooting 41% from three, 48% from the field, and averaging a career low 1.8 turnovers per game. He's having a hell of a season. The problem with D'Lo is that he's a roller coaster. He'll have a great game. He'll have a bad game. Sometimes he'll have two or three bad games in a row, then two or three great games in a row. And we're all talking about how can you keep him? He's going to opt out of his contract this summer. What are they going to do to keep D'Lo? Because you got to keep this guy around. And then he'll have 
two or three bad games in a row and people are talking about trading him away. You just have to understand that with D'Lo, you you accept that you're going to ride that roller coaster, that there's going to be, instead of just a steady, consistent performance night in, night out, you're going to get great nights, you're going to get bad nights. It's the way it is with him. And I've talked about this. The way that you mitigate that is by having D'Lo's bad nights offset by Austin Reeves having good nights and vice versa. That's what you need if you're the Lakers. But I think if you go all out on D'Lo and just say, oh, trade this guy, get rid of him, based on how he's performed in one game, even if it's two games in a row, even three games in a row, what happens is then you are you're setting yourself up for when he does come back, when he bounces back. Right then you're you're going, well, wait, maybe I was wrong. No, it's just D'Lo. It's just D'Lo. That's what he is. If you look at what he did tonight and say this is what he is, it's not accurate. If you look at when he put up 35 points and say that's simply what he is, that's not accurate. There's ebbs and flows, and he fluctuates wildly. That's what D'Lo is. That's what he is as a player. And if you can accept that, then you can get some really good nights, some nights where he wins you the game. Now, when you say trade him, I I think we're going to hear a ton of D'Lo trade rumors between now and February 8th. I think we're going to hear his name on the market a lot. But that's about his contract. That's not necessarily about his play. You know, if you trade D'Lo, what are the things the Lakers need right now? They need, on the offensive end, they need shot creation. They need guys who can score the ball. They need guys who can shoot. D'Lo does all three of those things. So are you going to get better in those areas by trading him? Now, you might get better defensively, but does your offense take a step back as a result? So you got to be careful. If and when you trade D'Angelo Russell, and I'm not saying trading him is the bad, the wrong move. You're probably going to need his salary if you're going to make some kind of trade by the trade deadline. But you got to be careful when you move him because you can't just take these bad nights and completely dismiss everything good that he brings. Because otherwise, what's going to happen is you trade him away, you diminish what he brings to this team, and in April, you're going, man, we need, we need another shooter. Man, we need another guy who can handle the ball. Well, it was D'Lo. That was his role. So you got to be careful if you're going to move. I'm not saying that moving him is the wrong move. Just got to be the right deal. Mamba mentality. I knew it. These games after the in-season tournament would be trap games. We needed to win tonight to rest Braun or AD next game. Now we have to play them or we'll go 0-2, possibly in danger to go 0-3. So the, the Spurs are a bad basketball team, first and foremost. So if you're going to play anybody on the second night of a back-to-back, if it's not the Pistons, you want it to be the Spurs. That said, if you're the Spurs, you're going all out after this game. First of all, Pop hates the Lakers, so you know that's going to be a factor. And they're on, I think it's a 17-game losing streak right now, the Spurs are. So if they smell any blood in the water, the Spurs players are going to be going all out to try to, yeah, 17 games in a row they've lost. They're going to go all out to try to win that game. And you're on the second night of a back-to-back. The Lakers have been pretty terrible. Second night of back-to-backs. LeBron hasn't had a lot of energy in those games. Particularly, LeBron played 40 minutes tonight. Tomorrow night has to be a big D-Lo game. Because LeBron's not going to give you a great performance. That's what we've seen. Even if he doesn't play many minutes. Even when he's had games where he's played 23 minutes or something. Because the Lakers blew out their opponent on the first night of a back-to-back. The second night, he still hasn't had the same pep in his step. I think just ramping up and playing in a game, even if it's limited minutes, the recovery time is long enough now to where it's affecting him the next night. So you can't rely on a big LeBron night tomorrow. You're going to need a number of other guys to step up on this team tomorrow night against the Spurs. And again, if the Lakers give the Spurs hope, which is the worst thing you can do for a bat when you're playing a bad team is give them hope, well, they could suddenly be in for a battle. But again... If you were to pick any team in the NBA to be playing in tomorrow's game, well, number one would be the Detroit Pistons. But number two would be the San Antonio Spurs. And you can make an argument that the Spurs should be number one because they have the worst point differential in the league. So that may be a saving grace here for the Lakers. But it is possible for them to lose this, especially with them being on the second night of a back-to-back. Salvador, 
said Vando was harshly missed tonight. Indeed, he was. I was I was very disappointed when I saw Vando was going to be out. I, I heading into this game, I talked about how Vando was going to be the difference maker on Luca. He's not going to stop him, but he can make a difference. He can make him work defensively. He can do enough, and unfortunately, he's got back spasms. So that then begs the question: Is Vando going to play tomorrow against the Spurs? Probably not, right? He just got him back. Now he's out again. Frustrating. Ham's just a waste on that bench. Man, how do you go all game and not make adjustments on the pick and roll? They're doing overhelping every time. Let them kill us. We need another elite defender and big. Needed Vando. Yeah, needed Vando for sure. I too was disappointed with the Lakers, with the way the Lakers defended Luka. When he got into the paint, the Lakers sent extra help to defense. That left shooters open. The Lakers trusted that the math would ultimately catch up with Dante Exum. It did not. It never caught up with him. He just made shots all night long. Now, they were wide, wide open. Maybe you shouldn't help that much off of him. Uh, oh, by the way, this is coming from the Lakers Nation account. LeBron says he'll see how he feels in the morning before deciding if he can play in San Antonio tomorrow night. So LeBron already questioning whether or not he's even going to play against the Spurs. So, yeah. LeBron also said, tip your hat. And they were, uh, to Dante Exum, said they were willing to live with the three-pointers from the Mavs role players. They trusted, oh, same thing I was saying. The numbers told us that Dante could be a heavy shift guy, but he's a pro. Tonight is the night. It's a make or miss league, and tonight he made them. Yeah. Basically, the Lakers did exactly what they were trying to do, right? Exactly what they had planned to do. Leave Exum open. Trust that the math is going to catch up to him. Didn't happen, though. Darvin Ham on Anthony Davis says he irritated his hip groin issue and will be looked at by the medical staff tonight. Saying, uh, Ham says, LeBron, Vando, and AD, it's all by ear. We'll have updates on those guys tomorrow. Now, if the Lakers are without LeBron, without AD, and without Vando, yeah, the odds went way up that they wind up breaking the Spurs losing streak if you're missing all of those guys. That's not good. That's not good. So we're all going to be holding our breath, waiting for the update tomorrow to find out whether or not LeBron, Vando, and AD are playing in the game against the Spurs. Ace of hearts, Ham's obsession with Prince ruined this game. Luka ran off six on him straight in the fourth, and that opened the floodgates for their offense. Vando? Yeah, he was he was hurt. Um, Vando's hurt. So there that was the frustrating part of the fourth. I mean, it felt like the Mavs were scoring every possession. In fact, I, I think I counted the Mavs at one point. Maybe I missed one, but I think they had six or seven possessions in a row where they, where they scored, and the Lakers were scoring too. So it felt like the Lakers were constantly on the cusp of catching up, and then the Mavs would score. Lakers would hit a big shot, and then the Mavs would score. They just couldn't get stops. And then they finally got a miss, and they give up the offensive rebound. It was, I mean, brutal. Brutal. And yes, Torian Prince, I mean, Luka just walked past him anytime he wanted. And the same was true of Austin. The same was true of Rui. The same was true, they, again, this is why I was so confused as to why Cam Reddish wasn't in the game. You don't have Vando. Vando would be the clear pick. At least put Cam in there and let him try to defend Luka, especially when nobody else is doing anything close to defending him, even if you have to take the hit on the offensive end because Torian Prince, to his credit, again, shot the ball well from three in this one. Torian Prince, five for six from deep. He'll take that for sure. But he had no chance against Luka. No chance. And that was part of what was causing the overhelping and leading to the open shots. Jarrett, another bad Darvin Ham night. Lock AD with those missed free throws. Now, again, Anthony Davis put up, what, 37 and 11? But yes, 6 of 10 from the free throw line. But I have a hard time getting upset with Anthony Davis free throw shooting. You know, we may see we have a little bit of kind of PTSD built in because we've had a couple of seasons where Anthony Davis crunch time free throws, things go poorly, right? Where the Lakers have lost games because Anthony Davis missed free throws down the stretch. But AD on the season, people don't realize this, he's shooting 84% from the free throw line. 
84%. That's almost a career high. That's the second highest free throw percentage of his career. He shot six for 10 tonight. That's not ideal. That's frustrating. But Anthony Davis is having a great, not good, great free throw shooting season. So again, it's frustrating in the moment when Anthony Davis shoots six for 10 and you lose a game by two. But I have a hard time when we take a step back and look at the big picture being too upset with Anthony Davis for his free throw shooting. He's been fantastic there this season. Ree says five for six, Axum 28% in the season. Uh, five for six, Grant 33 on the season. Players turn into Curry. Well, Grant's like 40% from three on the season, but players turn into Curry when they play us. So annoying. Wemby will make like six threes tomorrow. You know, the Lakers are actually still one of the teams that players tend to sh not shoot that well against them from three. Like, I think the Lakers' overall three-point percentage for opponents, I want to say it ranks 10th or 11th in the NBA. It's not like they're locking down the three-point line, but they're pretty good there, right? Like, they're they're better than average there. Yet, we have it in our heads that teams just constantly go nuts against the Lakers. Why? Because it feels bad when you see teams hit threes, and when you have role players that seem like random guys hit them, then it sticks out. Whereas when teams are terrible from behind the arc and they miss a lot, we just kind of credit to the credit it to the Lakers defense and we don't doesn't stick out in our brains quite as much. So it's the pain of seeing a, a random player like a, a Dante Exum go nuts from three that will cause us to think that teams just always go berserk against the Lakers from the three-point line. That's not really what the numbers say. That's not what the numbers say is going on, but I think that's just kind of our brains tricking us because when teams do go nuts from three, it stands out. When teams don't, it's what we're expecting to happen. We're expecting the Lakers defense to be good and shut teams down and all that kind of stuff. And so it doesn't stand out in our minds nearly as much. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, AD, 6 of 10 from the free throw line. If he hits them all, the Lakers win by two. Well, sure, but I, I mean, it, you could say that about a lot of stuff. You know, like if, okay, Dante Exum was 7 for 9. If he hits them all, the Lakers lose by even more. Um, it's just, that, that, that's the way it goes sometimes, right? Uh, D'Angelo Russell shot 1 for 4 from 3 tonight. If he hits them all, the Lakers win. You know. I, again, I have a hard time criticizing AD shooting 60% from the free throw line. The team, as a team, they did, did not shoot the ball well from the free throw line. 67% from the line. And again, a lot of those misses were AD. In fact, I, I think this is another thing that needs to be brought up. And look, this is not why the Lakers lost. Okay, I'm not complaining about the officiating and saying they cost the Lakers the game. But I thought there were, I thought the Mavs got the benefit of the whistle tonight. Uh, there was even a play where Luka came down, drove, kind of flung himself into a defender and threw the ball up and got the call. LeBron was upset about it. The Lakers were upset about the call. So the next possession, LeBron came down and did the exact same thing. Same thing Luka did. Silence. No whistle. And that just upset the Lakers even more because it felt like it wasn't being called for both sides. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. pulled up on a three, flopped, Got the call. Three free throws. 
trailer came around. I, it was Max Christie. I don't know if Max Christie is still just getting a rookie whistle. Austin, very similar play, no whistle. There was a lot of frustration tonight from the Lakers with the officials. And yes, the Lakers need to shoot better than 67%. But the Mavs shoot a lot of jumpers, a lot of threes, took 21 free throws in this game. The Lakers just 18. Now, again, the Lakers didn't do themselves any favors by missing six of those 18 free throws. But I thought that was also a factor in this game that the Lakers couldn't seem to get to the free throw line and the Mavs were keeping pace with them there. That's an area where the Lakers should have had an advantage in this game was the number of free throw attempts. And that's not the way this game ultimately played out. Again, I thought there were a lot of other things that caused the Lakers to lose this game, but it was something that, that was worth noting. The Lakers were frustrated with the officiating throughout the night. And you could see instances where they were almost trying to recreate whistles that the Mavs got and they couldn't get the same result going in their favor. <laughs> oh no. Yo said breaking news. Gabe Vincent threatens to return next week against the Knicks at home. People are so down on Gabe Vincent. Has he really gotten a chance? He's played in four games. We're just, we're assuming that Gabe Vincent is just this terrible shooter. Why? Because that's all we've seen of him was him shoot terribly, but it was four games, four games. That's it. That's all we saw from him. Why do we think that's just what he is? I would, in fact, I, I think it would be a very safe bet to say that by the end of the season, assuming he isn't catastrophically injured and just misses the rest of the season or something, but by the end of the season, Gabe Vincent will be shooting better than 7% from three. I think that's a pretty safe bet, assuming that he plays enough games. He's not really a 7% three-point shooter. He's better than that. So if we're just assuming Gabe Vincent is awful, I don't think that's necessarily fair. He hasn't really had a chance to prove himself. Yes, he played in a small sample size of games. He didn't look good, didn't shoot the ball well. It was frustrating. But I think just writing him off as, well, this guy's awful and he's only going to hurt the team if he comes back, I don't think that's giving him a fair chance either for a guy who was a fan favorite in Miami. Give him a shot. Give him a chance and see what happens. Let's see what happens. Up, oh, Ryan, in all caps. Uh-oh. I don't care what anyone says. Okay. Darvin Ham needs to go, and we're not contending with D'Lo. Best outcome would be getting Anthony Simons from Portland for D'Lo, JHS, and Christian Wood. Why does Portland want D'Lo, JHS, and Christian Wood? JHS would be the, the main lure there a young player, but JHS is a point guard and they've got Scoot. So there's some issues there, right? But also add in, the Blazers and Lakers have never made a trade. I think it's actually a source of pride in Portland is that they have not traded with the Lakers. So I wouldn't assume that the Blazers are going to be in any hurry to make any trades with the Lakers. I think you can you can concoct a number of D'Angelo Russell trades that would benefit the Lakers. I, and I, again, I'm expecting to hear a ton of D'Angelo Russell trade rumors between now and then, uh, between now and February 8th at the trade deadline. But yeah, I, I don't think that that's it, that Anthony Simons is going to be it. As far as Darvin Ham needs to go, it's just not going to happen. It's just not. And I can't even say that this is like every player on the team is all pro Darvin Ham or anything like that. No, that, that's not the case. But who's replacing him right now? Who are you bringing in that's going to replace him? I don't, uh, that's the problem. Is the grass greener on the other side? I don't know. Look, if, if it was, I've talked about this with Sean. If it was Mark Dagnall from OKC suddenly became available. Yes, please. Darvin, I'll drive you to the airport. I'll fly you wherever I want, wherever you want. If it's, if Eric Spolstra is suddenly available. <laughs> yes. You, you want stock in the team, Spo? Come on over. Those guys aren't out there. Those guys aren't out there. Oh my gosh, people are saying Luke Walton. <laughs> that's that's where we've gotten to. Oh no, don't throw Phil Jackson into the chat too. Phil Jackson's not coaching anymore. He's not going to do it. Uh, Mama mentality, Nick Nurse would have been nice. Yes, 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 yes. I agree with that. I agree. Nick Nurse would have been great, but... 
were you going to get him, especially when Darwin was only one year into his contract and just taken the team to the Western Conference Finals? I'm not saying that Darwin is a, is a good coach. Not saying that Darwin does everything perfectly. Make no mistake. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Darvin Ham is the coach that's going to take this team to the next level. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying I don't see them doing that now for a few reasons. Part of it is the expense. You still have to pay him. He's still under contract. You still have to pay him. He took the team to the Western Conference Finals. He figured things out. They just won the in-season tournament. Coaches who do those things don't get fired. And on top of that, even if the Lakers said, you know what, all the success we've had, winning the inaugural in-season tournament, um, being an above 500 team right now, getting to the Western Conference Finals last year, all of this, it's all been in spite of Darvin Ham. Even if that was their mentality, I'm not, and it's not, but even if their mentality was, it's all not because of Darvin Ham, he has not contributed, it's been in spite of Darvin Ham that they pulled this off. Even if that was their mentality. Who is replacing him right now? Who's out there to replace him? That's the problem. Problems, really. Suits said, I thought we looked great. Just couldn't stop Luca. Where was Cam in the second half? Yes. Where where was Cam indeed? Like, I'm waiting to see that like Cam was hurt or something because he wasn't in foul trouble. Why would you not throw him out there? Again, I'm not totally pro Darvin Ham. I thought that was a big mistake. Mixmaster Mike, Ham's not even a top 20 coach. Yeah, probably. Probably not. It was egregious on his part to not have Cam or Max or both in the game. I think Max is a could be a you could argue more for Cam than Max right now because Cam's defense has been so so good. But Max is good too. The ceiling is capped with him as a coach. Again, I, I didn't like the decision of see, I think part of my issue with, with Torian Prince. So far this season, if people were upset when he was missing all those threes. I kept saying, give him time. The, the percentages are going to come back around. And they have. They have. He's been shooting the hell out of the ball over the last few weeks. It's been great. But part of the problem with Torian Prince is he is not a point of attack defensive stopper. That's not what he is. That's not what he is. And the Lakers... We're misusing him in that role for a long time, but it was out of necessity. I couldn't even fault them. They didn't have anybody else. Everybody was hurt. So you didn't have anybody else to turn to. Now, though, my thought was, okay, they've got all these guys back. Torian Prince doesn't have to do that anymore. Doesn't have to be misused anymore. Guess what he's doing tonight? Point of attack defender on Luka. Of all people, like there's a handful of players where you just don't want anybody other than a defensive ace trying to defend this player one-on-one. -on -one. Talk about Luka, Kyrie, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant. And yet, Torian Prince has got the assignment. When Cam's right there, he's been a great defensive player. Didn't make sense to not use him. Now, Max... Would the size be an issue there? Cam does have a bit of size on Max, so maybe there's something there, but you have to not use Cam Reddish in that situation and to once again ask Torian Prince to do things that I think are a little bit above his pay grade defensively. You're asking him to do a little bit more than he's comfortable with, and it's burned the Lakers. It's burned them in the past. Uh, we just lost without Kyrie. Yeah, but it, that's not the way it works. That's not the way math works. Yes, they lost without... The Mavs didn't have Kyrie. But Exum gave you Kyrie production probably and then some because of how efficient he was. So the Mavs, they didn't feel the sting of not having Kyrie because Exum gave you that same offensive production in terms of not in the same way, but in terms of scoring punch, he gave that to you and more. So yeah, the Mavs didn't have Kyrie, but it didn't really matter. Right, it's not like you can look at it and like and say, "Man, this is a weakened Mavs team. They were so much worse than they normally are," and that's because they didn't have Kyrie and the Lakers still lost. So that tells you this Lakers team is just not good. No, the Mavs were actually probably even better than they were with Kyrie tonight. Long term, that won't be the case. But tonight, 
because Exum went berserk and had the game of his life. You've got Kyrie's production plus, probably, between Hardaway and Exum going nuts. So they they didn't have Kyrie, but it's not like that. That didn't really hurt the Mavs tonight because they got these outlier games out of role players. Now, D'Lo and Rui for Levine. Well, the math doesn't work on that, but, um, well, it's close. Now you still have to add a contract. You'd have to add like Gabe Benson or something. Does Zach Levine fix what's happening here? See, I think one problem the Lakers have, and we saw it, there was a stretch once again where if you want to be upset with Darvin Ham, there was a point where Darvin pulled out both LeBron and Anthony Davis, both of them out of the game at the same time, and the Lakers' offense just fell to pieces. Now, ultimately, Rui hit a couple of shots, but it was like Austin, D'Lo, Rui were on the floor. I want to say like Jackson Hayes was on the floor, and it was a mess. It was a mess. You could see where the Lakers weren't quite sure what they were going to do on the offensive end. It's moments like those where you could argue, man, if they had a Zach Levine, if they had a DeMar DeRozan, somebody you can just throw the ball to and they can make it happen. But would that have changed the outcome of this game? Or would you, by losing D'Lo, again, D'Lo didn't have a great game, but he's had good games in the past too. Again, he's inconsistent. If you're getting... Half the games from D'Lo are really good, and he's shooting the ball well. Is getting Zach Levine going to fix what ails this team? What about Rui? What about the ability he gives you on both the offensive end and the defensive end with his size? Do you actually get that much better? And you're also, if you do a trade for Zach Levine, you're committing to him being the guy that you're going to put next to Anthony Davis four years into the future. That's the commitment you're making if you go get Zach Levine. So I don't think... Well, Zach Levine is a tremendous player. I don't think he solves all the Lakers' problems. Does he help? Yes, he's a great player. Very, very good. He's going to help in certain ways. But is it enough? Is it enough to truly fix things? Right? It's like, let's say you owe somebody $30 and you're walking down the street and you find 10 Does that help? Yes. But is it enough? No, it's not. The Lakers, the areas that they're short in, it's like they owe $30. They need to make up ground in a lot of areas. Zach Levine helps you a little bit in one or two areas. But it's not enough necessarily put the Lakers over the top, at least in my opinion. And again, he's a very good player. I'm not saying if, if the deal was out there, if the deal was on the table, the Bulls said, D'Lo, Rui, Gabe Vincent for Zach Levine, no picks, we don't even want anything. Just give us those three players. Yeah, the Lakers would probably be crazy to turn it down. Probably be crazy. I think you can make an argument either way on it. But you probably do that just on value. The problem, though, is the opportunity cost. Because now, once you do that, you've made your move. You can't use D'Lo in a trade again. You can't use Rui. And these contracts that you can now stack up, the Lakers had the benefit of all these great contracts you can stack up in a deal. You don't get to do that again in a trade. So is Zach Levine the move? If not, you're probably better off waiting to see if something better comes along down the road. Something that can fix the problem for you. Dante. Boy, your name, your namesake had a great night tonight. Lakers shoot 52% from three yet lose. We need a third shooter next to LeBron and AD. D'Lo has to go. We need a three-headed monster like you see with the Bucks. So again, is that guy Zach Levine? Or is it somebody else? Again, the trade deadline's not until February 8th. A lot of teams don't get real about trades until January. So it's possible that some names are going to pop up that we're not even hearing right now, that aren't out there right now. We've got a long way to go before the trade deadline. Got a long way to go. And what happens in these next few weeks? That's going to determine what's out there on the market for the Lakers. But remember, this team just won the in-season tournament. They suffered a loss because Dante Exum had the game of his life. These things happen. I don't think that's the knee-jerk, go make a big, devastating trade. Go completely change this roster. I don't think that's what we've seen from this team. I don't think we've seen enough of a sign that everything needs to change. Are there some tweaks that they need to make? Yes. Yeah. There's some holes they need to fill, and they probably won't be able to fill all of them. 
you need to be able to fill at least one or two of them. But do you make the kind of trade that tears down a good chunk of your roster and then puts in a big-time player, a big-time contract? If you're going to do that, you better be damn sure that that player is the piece that you want moving forward. You better be sure. Otherwise, we're talking about the Russell Westbrook situation all over again. All right. Let's do this because we've gone on plenty long enough. I know you guys have been waiting for it, and I should have done this already. We're going to do the master lock. Chat, anybody who's new, the way this works, we take whatever is the most frustrating, annoying thing from the game, and we put it in. Chris, the Masterpiece Masters, good buddies, finishing hold, the master lock. So let me know. What did you find most annoying from this game? Let's do it. Master Lock of the Night. Master Lock of the Night. Oh, there it is. The obligatory Dylan Brooks. He gets Master Locked every night, even when the Lakers aren't playing the Rockets. Dylan Brooks gets nominated for a Master Lock. Um, Dante Exum, I'm seeing it here. D'Angelo Russell, Master Lock Perimeter Defense. Yep. Perimeter defense, Darvin Ham. Master lock, Luca's mini headband. That was pretty awful, wasn't it? As far as headband goes, headbands go, that was awful. That was awful. Master lock, D'Lo, master lock, Dylan Brooks, three-point defense, Darvin. Oh, man. Master lock, Trevor, for missing the in-season uh, final game. Yeah, yeah, the tournament final. That was so difficult. That was so difficult. Um, I had plans that I'd made way before the tournament schedule even came out. Um, and I was spending time with family. Specifically, I was spending time with my wife that we very rarely get. Um, and obviously, it wound up that the Lakers ended up playing that night and, and having a game. Uh, and so that was tough. I was I was nervous and everything all night and checking in on the score and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, trying to just take a night and, and enjoy it and focus on stuff that's, you know, frankly, more important than, than basketball for a change. Um, but yes, that it, it was not easy for me to do that for sure. For sure. It was not easy. Oh, somebody saying master lock the banner. Putting a banner up for the in-season tournament. Master lock Dante Axum. Master lock Mark Cuban. All right. Master lock Dwight Powell. That's an interesting one. All right. I think officially my master lock. It's Dante Axum. What are you doing, man? Like, have a blow-up game. Just do it against somebody else. Do it against somebody else. I get it. I, I give you credit. You battled your way back. You were a top pick. You were a lottery pick. I remember talking all about how great it would be if the Lakers could get Dante Exum in the draft. Didn't work out. And he didn't work out in the NBA. He battled his way back into the league. You give him credit for that. But man, what a terrible night to have an all-time shooting night. I would have to imagine it's the best shooting night of his career. Seven for nine from three. And to have that happen tonight, ah, got a master lock Dante Exum for that. Do that next game. Do that last night against the Grizzlies. Don't do that against the Lakers. Come on. Exum won't hit another three this month, the chat says. Damon said, how is this not D'Lo? Sure, D'Lo deserves an honorable mention there as well. Uh, Bryn Young became a YouTube channel member. Thank you, Bryn. Appreciate you joining up. Uh, I'll have a new video, I believe, out for channel members tomorrow for all our all-star tier. We'll be breaking down the upcoming schedule here for the Lakers. Wanted to get one done today, but just got back in town a little bit late. Um, so we'll have that out and all kinds of content. We're even going to have a live show for channel members where channel members can come on stage with us. That's going to be coming up on uh, Thursday. So, yeah, the YouTube channel membership program has been a lot of fun. If you haven't checked it out yet, click the join button and see the perks that we have to offer. All right, let's get into a few more 
questions and comments before we call it a night here. Uh, Lord Beerus, Reeves blew the game with two Westbrook-style plays. Reeves had a couple of plays where I think he was looking for a foul and didn't get one. Um, there were a couple of plays where I thought he got contact but then didn't get a whistle. It was tough. It was tough. Also hit a very tough... I mean, that, that ball rolled around and around and around the rim in a way that, I mean, I haven't seen in a long time the ball rolled that many times around the rim and then went in. Crazy three late. I thought the Lakers were going to make a comeback at that point. Jordan said, Mavs on a back-to-back and missing Kyrie sim- simply can't give up games like this. The Stars repu- refuse to play defense and everyone else is simply bad at it. Changes. I mean, the Lakers have the number one defensive rating in the NBA over the last few weeks. They've been one of the best defensive teams in the league. Thought the Mavs were just hot shooting the ball. And sometimes that happens. But we just saw last game, the Lakers nerfed the the best offense in the NBA. So uh, I don't think I look at this and just say, well, that's it. Lakers defense is terrible. They've been good for weeks. Their defense has been great ever since they got guys healthy. I don't look at this game, the energy letdown game, after a tournament win and say, yep, that's it. Yep, Lakers defense is bad, and this is what it is. Julian, watching Luka play is so frustrating. Complains after every single whistle. I thought the Lakers should have had at least 20 more attempts at the line, too. Lakers played good, but just came up short. I agree. I thought the the Lakers should have got more whistles than they did. I thought it was a a tough night, uh, officiating-wise. But, yeah, Luka, he expects a lot of calls. He does. He expects, and he gets a lot. Man, did he get a lot of calls. Got a friendly whistle. Ian No Man said, Exum hitting five threes in the fourth is why we lost. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Big part of it. Again, he went nuts. He had the game of his life. Dante Exum did. And you give him credit for hitting those shots. You ask the questions, why was he so wide open? Why did the Lakers help so much? Why did they have that specific defensive player, whether it was Austin, whether it was D'Lo, whether it was Torian, on uh, on Luka instead of Cam Reddish, who maybe could have, maybe he wouldn't. Maybe Luka would have just torched Cam Reddish. But it seemed like Cam would have been the better fit for that defensive assignment. Instead, he had guys overhelping on Luka, opening up Exum, who knocked him down. Asa Hartz loved when a draft bust who shoots 29% on the season goes crazy. AD on defense wasn't there tonight. I'm worried about AD's hip. That's a concern. I I don't know if he's going to play against the Spurs or if he's going to need some time off, but he was definitely limping out there. Help defense wasn't good. Everybody helped too hard off their man. Yeah, I thought there was overhelping, and we've seen that from the Lakers. Uh, We saw that, in fact, uh, the last time the Lakers played the Mavs, wasn't it? That Austin overhelped on a Luka drive, and it ended up being a Kyrie three. The Lakers have had this problem. We saw it last season too, where the Lakers overhelped on a, uh, or no, it was a a Luka drive to a Kyrie three. Last year, it was a Kyrie drive. It turned into a three for Maxi Kleba that ruined a game for the Lakers. The Lakers have this habit of not just overhelping, but specifically overhelping against the Mavs. Frustrating, for sure. Menace said our entire defense chased Luka the whole time. Let him beat his man and play him one-on-one. You can't collapse on every single possession and give up the open three. This looked like a bad game of 2K. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers tried to play the math. They tried to play the math that Exum was going to ultimately miss some of those threes and didn't work. Didn't work. He knocked them down. Give him credit for knocking down those shots, but the, the math said that ultimately he would miss enough of those didn't happen. Didn't happen. He hit him. All right, everybody. We're going to, um, we'll call it a show there. Lakers play again tomorrow night against the Spurs. Hopefully they can bounce back, but we're going to be waiting. Fingers crossed to find out, is Anthony Davis okay? Is LeBron okay? Will those guys play against the Spurs? Same thing with Jared Vanderbilt. It could be a very, very thin Lakers team. If they have LeBron, AD, and Vando all out. So it could be a very tough one. But we'll see if the Lakers can get the job done or not against San Antonio. If those guys play, then of course you would expect the Lakers to get that win. Hopefully that's what we see. But again, 
Thank you, everybody, for joining me. Make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Thanks for listening over on the podcast side as well. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.